I want to ask you, do you like to take a test? I have to be honest with you. Now that I'm a teacher, I love tests. <laughs> I like giving them. I mean, I just, it's just a, I enjoy it. I enjoy a test. You know, some students enjoy a test. Some students don't. You know what I've learned now after teaching a couple of years? The students that are prepared for the test, they actually enjoy it. They actually enjoy the test. Did you know that we're in a test? And it isn't that the teacher just said, okay, one day we're going to just have a test sitting in front of you. He actually has given us a, really a review, a study guide of what the test is about. And we're all in it together. In reality, it's something that I would call the faith test or the test of our faith. With that in mind, I'd invite your attention to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, your preacher told me to take my time. I, I, I'm the wrong one to have the preacher say that to. When I was pastoring just five widow ladies, I had just started pastoring, and we just had five dear widow ladies in their late 70s. And within one month, one month, they nicknamed me. Now, you might say little widow ladies are sweet. They are, but they nicknamed people too. They all got together and they nicknamed me Little Pharaoh. And when they came to me and they said all of it one time, they said, Preacher, we, we're going to call you Little Pharaoh. And I laughed just like you did. And I said, Why? And they said, Because you never let God's people go. You never let God's people go. <laughs> Referring to the length of my sermons, and I was a brand new pastor, and those poor five widow ladies, I, I would just preach everything and take a long time to do it and probably say it five or six times. So when you said that to me, I thought, yeah. And then I thought, no, don't do a little Pharaoh. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We'll read a good number of verses this, morning, this evening. I, I won't drag on, so follow me. Hebrews chapter 11, a very familiar passage. I would dare to say your pastor and many other guest preachers have preached this before. Now, faith is. So can I ask you, class, what do you think the subject matter is in this chapter? Faith. It is. The biblical definition that I find is right here. The only time we'll find that I can find faith defined as clearly as it is, is right here. So it's the definition, class. This whole chapter, the subject matter, is one thing. Faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a two-part definition of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Explanation, for by it, the it is referring to our subject matter. And again, class, our subject matter is what? Faith. So by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report well, since we're talking about a test, I've got written in my notes, right beside report, I have the word written card. Report card. <laughs> report card. Listen to the report cards of some students that have already completed the faith test. Through faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. Don't you want to just say an amen right there? 
so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Here's a report card. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. That's a, that's a pretty good report of his life that God said he had a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, another report card, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. Why? I'm going to insert that word. Because God had translated him before his translation that his testimony. God's recording this in his report that he what? Pleased God. Wow, what an incredible thought. Here's a contrary statement. But without faith, it is, what's that next word? Impossible to please God. Didn't say difficult, said impossible. It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder that them, that of them that diligently seek him. Not just seek him, but diligently. Let's get back to some more report cards. Verse seven, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, excuse me, we'll go on. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should go after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned to the land of the promise as in a strange country, dwelling in the tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 13, these all died in, what's that next word? Faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded watch this, of them, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims of the earth. We go on and we go to now to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he, and, and he that had received the promises offered up only begotten son. We'll go down and just through the rest of the chapter very quickly. Verse 20, by faith, verse 21, by faith, verse 22, by faith, 23, by faith, verse 24, by faith, verse 27, by faith, verse 28, through faith, 29, by faith, 30, by faith, 31, by faith, 33, through faith. Wow, and these all, verse 39, and these all, having obtained a good Report through faith received not the promise God having provided them better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Heavenly Father, do this evening in the lives of your people what only you can do so you could get the glory. Lord, help us to answer this one question. How 
can we have more faith? We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I can remember when my daughter, Victoria, she's now 21, when she was a little girl, I can remember her and I just kind of playing as daddy and daughter. I'm sure most dads would have some type of similar story in their mind. I can remember having Victoria sit on the bed or stand on the bed, and I would say, Victoria, jump into my arms. And she was a, a little kid, and she, she didn't want to do it. You know, she was, she was afraid. She had some fear. And I can remember walking over to her and saying, Victoria, come on, jump into my arms, jump into my arms. And, and eventually I had to kind of teach her how to do it. So I would reach in there underneath her arms, and I would pick her up, and I would throw her up in the air, and, and she would have this look upon her face like, are you going to catch me? Are you going to catch me? And she had fear on her face, and I would always catch her each and every time. And we did that over and over again. I wanted my daughter to trust me. I wanted her just to jump into my arms. And so I would try to coax her over and over again. And, and each time she would just kind of hang on to the bedpost, I can remember, and she'd just lean over and I'd have to reach in there and get her. And, and I, I, I really just, well, I really wanted her to what? Trust me. I really wanted her to have faith in my words when I would say, Victoria, I'll catch you. Just jump into dad's arms. You know, that's what God wants from his children. Just to what? Trust him. To believe his words. To have faith in him. After it finally caught on in Victoria, I would throw her up in the air. And at first, her fear would come upon her face. But after we did it for a while, she would have a big smile on her face. She'd just be up there enjoying the, the part of me just throwing her up in the air. The anticipation of that I'd catch her. And every time I would catch her. She enjoyed it so much that after we did it over and over again, and it was successful each and every time, and then I backed up what I said I was going to do each time. Do you know what finally happened? I remember coming into the bedroom one time, and I was in a rush, and I was walking through our bedroom to go to the closet, and I remember hearing his, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I saw out of the corner of my my daughter just running across the bed, and then she just leaped into the air. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, catch me. I mean, this is how it happened. And I can remember just kind of like this and dropped her. No, I didn't drop her on it. No, I, I caught her. I caught her. Yep. Man, once she started to catch on, not only could she trust Dad, but it actually turned out to be fun. She initiated it all on her own. God, the Heavenly Father, wants all his children, you and I, just to simply trust his words. Amen. Have you ever wanted to have more faith? Have you ever wondered how you could get more faith? Have you ever thought of this question? How important is faith really to God? Well, in verse 6, we see that but without faith, it is what? Impossible. Impossible to please him. God looks for faith in his people. He's not looking for people that don't have faith in him to have faith in him. He's looking for his own people, his children, to have faith. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but we're trying to answer this question. So how important is faith to God? Well, Matthew 8, 10 says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. So how important is faith to God? Well, when Jesus Christ walked on this earth amongst mankind, 
That scripture says this, that Jesus was looking for his people while he was walking amongst his people for people that had faith in them. How important is faith to God that God's people would have faith in him? That when he was walking amongst the people himself, he was looking for people that had faith. So how important is faith to God? Well, in the past, he was looking for people with faith. Luke 18, 8 speaks of it in a prophetic way. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So how important is faith to God? Well, when he was here walking amongst all of us, amongst mankind, he was looking for some people that had faith in him. Prophetically, when he comes back, and I, I have to ask you, do you believe he's coming back soon? Amen. Well, then if he's coming back soon, we should, it would really behoove us if we would start to realize this. What's he going to be looking for? Some people of faith. Some people that simply trust in him. How important is faith to God Almighty? It is very important to him. He looked for it amongst his people. And when he comes in the future, he wants to find his children trusting in him. He doesn't want us not to have faith. He wants us to be obedient. Just as I tried to coax my daughter into leaping into my arms, God Almighty wants to do something in our lives to show us that we can just leap into his arms and not hold on to the bedpost of life and try to have that as a proof of our faith God loves to see faith in his people. Remember the, the great sin of unbelief and Brother Kwan, again, your, your, your words just confirmed what I was to preach this, this evening while you were up here just a moment ago, the nation of Israel. Can you imagine this? We're not talking about faith, but we're talking about unbelief. For 40 years, they were in unbelief, not believing God. So they wandered for 40 years, a, a whole nation wandering, wondering. A whole nation, that sounds almost so hard to believe. So let's break it down to this thousands of families wandering in the wilderness. A thousands of families even sounds hard. So let's just put it this way. Just imagine this, one family following one father. Listen to me, men. One family for 40 years wandering in the wilderness because that one dad didn't trust God's word. That did not please God. When his people don't believe him or have unbelief, it doesn't please him. You might say, well, that's Israel. Yep, it is. We can't do anything about them. But I can say this, after traveling a little bit around the country, in our churches all over the country, there's families that are following their dads who don't really believe the words of God and they follow their families in a wilderness all over the place. In church this year, out of church next year. In church, out of church, and their families following them, wandering in the wilderness why didn't Israel have faith in God? First of all, they were disobedient to God's word, and then they were obstinate. Disobedient meaning stubborn, and obstinate means this. They contradicted it before it was even said. When the man of God said it, they contradicted it. 
That's not a good way to be. When God's word is preached, it would behoove all of us not to contradict it and not to believe it. Now that's the negative. Here's the positive. Instead of being disobedient and obstinate, the flip side to that would be, how about to listen to God's words or to read God's word and to be ready to obey it even before you hear it? To have that proper attitude, if you would. It's almost like, Lord, it's almost like we would say, Lord, I, I, I don't know what you're going to say to me today, but here's a blank contract, and, and I'm going to go ahead and sign it down here at the bottom, and God, God hasn't filled it in yet. But it would be that you and I would listen to the Word of God or, or read the Word of God or come to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night when we gather together in God's house with God's people and God's man opens God's Word and God's Word is preached and proclaimed. Every one of us that should, as children of God, people of faith, we should just sign up a blank contract and say, Lord, whatever it is that you're going to say to me tonight, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith in it. So you sign it even in advance and it's just like I alluded to this morning you might say well I just want to wait and hear what he has to say to me first now you're negotiating with God and that's not good and we just live a life of being I'm all in I'll sign the blank contract God you have all of me before I even learn what you want from me it's a readiness to obey it's an expression of our confidence of who God our heavenly father is we all know also the, the object of faith has a lot to do with, with our idea of faith. And we know that in verse 6, that six ver, verse that he that is cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We know that. We, we know that, that true faith is authenticated by its object, and, and that faith is only as valid as its object. That's what we know. That's what we have in our intellect. But often we tend, as people, to even ignore what we know in our minds. And we say this, well, if I'll just have a good attitude, everything will be okay. And we think that a good attitude equals biblical faith. A positive attitude doesn't equal biblical faith. Now, let me tell you, I like a positive attitude around the campus of Heartland Baptist Bible College. I like that. I have a good attitude, but that isn't biblical faith. It won't give you biblical faith. Just because you have a good attitude, when my wife was going through cancer, she had a good attitude, but that wasn't having faith in God Almighty. But having biblical faith in God Almighty does produce a positive attitude. Can I get an amen? But having a positive attitude isn't the way that you're going to have biblical faith. And then we, we also do this. We come upon this great big set of circumstances, maybe a great trial in our life. And we look at this great big mountain and this great big rock in our way. And we just say, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll whip out my great big faith stick. And we look at that mountain or that rock that's in our way. And we realize our faith really isn't even greater than that. And we're putting faith in our own faith. Instead of that, why don't we just have faith in who God is and realize how big God is. And God can take care of everything that we can ever come up with in our lives. Yeah. Don't look at your faith. Look at how big your God is and simply trust him. Instead of measuring your faith, measure your God Evaluate the situation not on the basis of your faith, but on the basis of God's ability. Listen to me. He is full of being faithful to his words. 
to his people. He's full of it. He's full of being faithful to us. Yep. We see in verse 1, we see the explanation. It says, now faith is the substance. Think of substance as something you can hold, like, like, like these, these tissues, substance of things you can hold, substance of things hoped for, substance in the evidence of things not seen. Substance meaning, you know how when you, when you have a vehicle and you have a car loan on the vehicle, you really don't have that title. Who has the title? The bank has the title. So who owns it? The bank and you. But when you pay off that car loan, I can remember when this happened to me as a younger man, the first time I paid off my car loan, I can remember getting the title. And then I said, I said this, I remember saying this to my dad, I really own this vehicle now. I had the title. I had that substance in my hands. I, I had proof that it was all mine. So now faith is the substance, like I hold something of things hoped for. Yep. The substance, a title deed. Think of it like this way. Now faith is the substance or the, the title deed of things hoped for. Things that you and I would hope for. What do we have hope for? We have hope for based upon the promises here in God's word. I, I have the title deed to the promises here in God's word. This is my inward insurance. We must know that in our hearts we already own or we already have, in a sense, the title deed to the promises. I, I know just as sure as I, I know I own my own vehicle, I own the title deed to all of the promises in God's word because I'm a child of the king and I'm trusting in the heavenly father to be faithful in his promises. I trust him. And if you are a child of God this evening, you have the title deed that God will never leave you never forsake you he'll never do you wrong he'll never do what the world will do to you he'll take care of you and if you trusted in his son he prepares a place for you and he will welcome you into heaven with him it's a promise you have that inward assurance he'll never leave you and there's examples of those that we see right there that, that really had that substance of faith, that title deed. Abel, his title deed was that he obtained a witness that he was righteous. What a thing to be recorded on his quote report card that God recorded in his word, look at it, that he was righteous. Enoch, he had the title deed and he would not see death. Noah had his title deed by saving his own house and then there's the title deed. And then if we look back at verse one again, I want to be repetitive on purpose. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And then the second part of the definition, look at it. Verse one, it says, second part, the evidence, evidence, evidence of things not seen. Evidence. What does evidence mean? Proof. It's the proof of things not seen. It's the evidence of things not seen. We'll just work on Noah for a moment. Noah believed what God's word was so much when God said, I want you to build an ark. There's going to be a flood coming. What did Noah do? He built an ark. See, he believed it so much when God said, go build an ark. Noah probably had this conversation with him. What's an ark? I don't know what an ark is. God said, go build it. And I'll tell you how to do it. Can you imagine now for 120 years, he believed it. He believed it inwardly so much that this man 
and he had his whole family engaged in this for 120 years. He went out and built this ark every day. He believed it so much. He believed in God's word so much that he did it over and over and over again. It was his manifestation of what he really believed. He really believed God to the point that it came out. The evidence, the proof of the things not seen yet. No one had ever seen an ark at this time. Can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine the kids? I'm, I'm adding a little bit of drama to this for a moment. Can you imagine the kids coming by the neighborhood every day saying to Noah's boys, Hey, what are you all doing? We're building an ark, one of his sons says. And the neighborhood kid would say, what's an ark? And Noah's kid would say, we don't know. <laughs> We're just building an ark. Well, what's the ark going to look like? Really don't quite know. You know, it's just, well, why are you building an ark? Because there's a flood coming. The neighborhood kids, what's a flood? God said there's one coming. So dad, now get this, just contrary to the nation of Israel, Noah, the dad said, boys, family, we're going to build us an ark. Why, Dad? God said so. What's an ark? We're all going to find out together. What's a flood, Dad? We need to get ready for it. It's coming. I don't know what it is, but God said we better have an ark by the time it comes. You see, Noah knew. He had the assurance. He had trusted God to the point that he believed it deep down inside. It was the inward assurance. He had the title deed to it to the point that the proof of it was his action, the way he lived on a daily basis. And there's people in your community that walk by or see you looking out at you every Sunday morning and see you and your family and you dragging your family off to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and for soul winning and for special meetings and they're looking at you and they're wondering what on earth are you doing and if you really sat down you could say God's word told us to meet in church Amen. and they're going to say this what do you all do it's going to be unbelievable to them yep and you that have maybe raised your children and your children are now adults and maybe you say they're not even going to church anymore you have wayward young adults you might be sitting here saying well I tried with them but now they're off wayward now you're saying you did it just for your kids. Or you're supposed to be doing it for who? God. Demonstrating that you trust him. Your children don't need you, mom and dad, to change anything regarding your trust for God now. Regardless of whether they're in or out of church. The reason I mention that is not because of anything here. But I have seen it over and over and over again. In many churches today around this country, there's some young adults that have graduated and gone off into the world out of good churches, and parents then stop living faithfully. That's the wrong thing to do. And the whole scheme of it, Noah is now living it. It's almost like this. Again, Noah had the title deed to God's promise, build an ark, and Noah built it. That's how Noah evidenced, proved his inward assurance 
the things that he hoped for, the things that he knew God promised him, he believed them and he did something about it. So that's his report card. In just a few moments, I'm just going to have the men grab a microphone and they're just going to go around the auditorium and I'm going to direct them to guide, to guide them. And they're going to come up to several of you, not all of you, this crowd's way too big, and they're going to give you the microphone and they're going to ask you now to stand up and you're going to prove with your life to all of us the evidence of whether you believe God's word or not. Men, if you'll, I'm making all this up. This is not going to happen. They're very ready to do it. How many of you thought I was really going to do that? <laughs> I guess you thought I was crazy. Now, listen to me. Look at me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not the teacher. I'm not the authority. I'm not the one giving the test. You're not doing it to show anything to me. I'm not correcting the test. It's him. I'm in this faith test with you. Yeah. God, on our report card right now, if I can use that analogy, is recording, just as a teacher does, our daily activities on how we're doing in believing what he's given us and how we're manifesting it Outwardly, we're being tested on what? How much we trust God. And he wants us to let go. Now, this is pretty scary because I'm right on the edge and I've had a real weird afternoon. <laughs> Young people, look at me. If you could learn at your young age to let go and just leap, just leap into God's arm. He's got things in this world that he wants to use you for, to accomplish you with. But if you hang on and if you think doing this and doing that is going to be then better than doing this into God's arms, you're mistaken. There's no career there's nothing greater than serving God, trusting him with everything. Amen. And God may never call everybody in this building. He doesn't. But he does want all of us to be surrendered, to let go and trust him. Look at me, dads. I know this isn't a men's meeting. And I don't want to take too much liberty, Brother Allen. But I'm, I don't want to get anybody upset at me. But hey, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> I don't mean that sarcastically. But men, your family, your children don't need to see you hanging on and not trusting. When the preacher stands up here and preaches from God's word, your children don't need to see you going home and debating God's word. They don't need to see you going home and being obstinate. They don't need to look at you when an invitation comes around and the challenge is given for men to, to come and to pray and for you to be like this, stiff-necked. That's obstinance. God doesn't want his children to hang on. He wants them to show their evidence of their faith in him. And in conclusion, 
What does that mean? In conclusion, it means we're just kind of getting ready to land. Would you just land with me? Honestly. Let's put our faith in God. Not in our country. Not in anything but God tonight. I don't know, Brother Allen, but I think Heritage Baptist Church is on the edge of doing something greater than you have any realization of. But it's not going to happen if the families are going to hang on. He isn't going to do it through one man. He's going to do it through his people. He's going to use a man to lead, but he's going to do it through his people. So men, look at me. Dads, tonight, I hope I'm not taking too much liberty. I'm putting it on you. Putting it on you. And I wanted to preach that second message so much more than this one. It was a funny message. You would have said to Brother Fong, man, have that guy Jeff Coast back. He is the funniest preacher we've ever had. You'd say that you would have enjoyed the message. You're probably not enjoying this. You're probably thinking, man, this is, this is, man, I'm, I'm just looking at you guys. Brethren, it's due time that we in God's family start to evidence, prove Outwardly show, demonstrate that we trust God before we even hear what God has to say. That's all in. That's faith. That's letting go and leaping, not into darkness, but into the hands of God. Look at me, men. How are you doing right now raising your own children your way and not God's way? Young adults, how are you doing right now navigating this new life all on your own where every decision could change the rest of your life now that you're out on your own? How are you doing it your way? Or would you rather let go and let God have all of it? Young people, the things you face in this day and age would blow most of the adult minds in here. Would you please, I know, it's, I know it's an unknown to you, but look at me. I stand before you as a young, as a 57-year-old as a man who once was a very messed up young person. And every time I just tried to do it my way, it just got messier and messier. And I nearly messed up my life multiple times and other people's lives along with me multiple times because I didn't trust God. Why don't you this evening, young people, just let go and leap into the hands of God and realize that you're creating a report card and one day the test book is going to close and the teacher's going to say, all pencils up, time's up. And then God is going to be rewarder of those that what? Diligently been seeking him. Yep. One last thought before we close. How many of you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back soon? 
man, this is a Baptist church. Y'all got to do better than that. That's a Baptist button. How many of you believe Jesus Christ is coming back soon? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. You just said, and, and, and I appreciate you giving me that little bit of encouragement there and let me push the Baptist, but, but you just said that you intellectually agree with the theology that Jesus Christ is coming back again, the doctrine of his second coming. You believe that. You said intellectually we believe that. That's, when you shouted amen, you said we believe that and we're going to just affirm it by shouting amen. That's what you did. You believe that. You understand what I'm saying? You, you believe that in your mind. He's coming back again and you said amen. If I changed it and I said, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? And I said, raise your right hand. I'm assuming that everybody that just shouted amen would raise their right hand. You'd, you'd do one of these, amen. That's how some people do it. And I like that, amen. If I said to you, how many of you believe he's coming back again? You'd say, amen, raise your right hand. And then if I continued on, and if I said this, how many of you would shout out amen to the fact that you believe he's coming back again soon? And then you would raise your left hand and you would say, and my lifestyle matches my theology. I mean, you kind of fell into the trick. And I say that sarcastically, the Baptist button trick. Y'all just shouted out amen. But if I got down to the real test question how many of you that really believe that you really believe it intellectually he could come back anytime now you really believe it that's in your intellect how many of you would say and the way I'm living today my lifestyle matches my theology look at when I'm like this raising my right hand you know what this kind of reminds me of gotta be honest with you, it reminds me of a politician <laughs> I hope we don't have any politicians in here, but if we do, hey, like I said, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> That's what I think of. Someone that just is kind of doing this. But when I say raise your left hand too, you know what I think of? The universal symbol for what? Surrender. Yeah. And when I think of surrendering to someone that might be coming to get me, like maybe a law enforcement officer or, or an enemy in war, I'd say surrender. But when I think of surrendering to God, I, I think of this. Surrendering. Surrendering to God. Bowing down very low. And this evening, I'm wondering if maybe the reason God has me preaching this message is because maybe some of his children have been walking through life like this and not this. Just a picture. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not the judge. I'm here just in this same test as you. And I'm 57 years old and I'm just starting to realize this. My test book is going to close soon. And I'm now starting to prepare like I've never been preparing before. Everybody in here does not know when their test is going to be over. When do you get ready? Now.
Please don't tell me that this message was preached for the person next to you. Would you just ask God this evening where you are on trusting him? You might say, my faith is big enough. Really? Wouldn't you like to trust God more? Young people, sometimes we lay out a path and we think, this is the path I'm on. And we've got everybody telling us that. But we've never asked God what he wants us to do. Moms and dads, can I look at you? You'll never meet my mom, dad. They're in heaven. You never would have met them. They would have never come out to visit here. They were home folks. My mom went to the eighth grade, and that was it. She was the daughter of a farmer in Ireland. My dad stayed back three different times because he had polio on his left leg and his left arm. He had surgeries over the course of his whole childhood life. In a sense, barely made it through school. Uneducated people in many ways, what this world would say, weren't successful. Quiet people, both of them. But this is what I know. That they prayed. They just prayed that their children would get saved. And over and over and over again, this is what I heard from my mother. Jeff, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. And then when I got saved at the age of 20, she would say, now that you're saved, now you need to live like you got saved. And then she would say, once I started to live like I got saved, this is what she did. She says, now you need to help other people get saved. Heard three simple things. Get saved. After you get saved, my mother would say this, now live like you got saved. And then after you started living like you got saved, then she'd say, now help others get saved. You know what she was doing? Helping me to have a good report card and trusting God. Would you stand this evening and before God even speaks to you, would you just in the privacy of your own heart say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to obey it.